Welcome to the T-Squared Dad's Brown Bag Podcast. Here's your hosts, Kyle Baker and Dieter Burrell. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, we have Mike Knoll with us again today, and uh, as usual, Dieter and Kyle here. And today we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, licensing in the architectural profession. Um, I know Dieter's been kind of looking at that and also trying to think about some different ways um, and the different uh, paths that you can take in order to uh, become licensed in the United States. I can, I'll tell you this from experience. Um, in different offices, there's been discussions about how to get, how to become licensed, how to become a licensed architect. And different states have different requirements. Um, there isn't just one way. Now I know that NCARB is pushing uh, education. And there's a lot of states out there that require education as a prerequisite to becoming a a licensed architect. But there are other states that don't require education. They do require a level of experience through multiple years, having worked with another architect as a either uh, they become a mentor. Yeah, more like an apprenticeship. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to, and I'm not saying, and I'm, I'm not promoting not going, going to school for this kind of stuff, but there is other ways around becoming licensed. Now, I think if you guys are familiar with what reciprocity is, and if you're not, I think it's something that's important for you guys to find out if you're licensed in another state. But what we're going to talk about in the, this podcast is how, if there's other ways to kind of become licensed without the education factor. Yeah, so maybe we should talk about the typical journey. I think the journey that you and I both took of you go get you a four-year degree from an accredited university. We went to the University of Florida. And then for me, I did a two-year master's degree in architecture. And then from that point, it's a matter of taking the required tests that NCARB um, has set aside to be able to prove that you're competent as an architect. That's the same the way that you kind of went through the process, right, Dieter? Right. Now, the, the, way, the way it works, the way that, that uh, NCARB and a lot of the institutions would like for you to kind of follow is this path. You enter a program, you get an accredited degree from a four- or five-year, I'm sorry, five-year or six-year program. And what I mean by that is there are certain schools that offer a five-year, five-year professional, like Florida, Florida A&M, is one of them, and yeah, I think Florida... They're, they're few and far between yeah. nowadays. Yeah. It used to be a much more commonplace thing. Yeah, and I can only tell you this from from be, being being in Florida, but if you go to your state, um, you, you would have to find out there's certain states that have certain requirements. But um, So you go and get your degree, and you go and register with NCARB, which is sort of the record-keeping entity, and then they'll keep a record of all your experience, and then you have to go through what they call the IDP process, mm-hmm. which is sort of a uh, you work with another architect, and you become they, they're their, your mentor, and they kind of walk you through the process. They don't handhold you; you have to go and get your own uh, training uh, with your own supervisors. And if he's one of your supervisors, he he would try to give you as much information as possible, or have you trained in certain things that the uh, the in, intern development, the in, developmental program has, that's got a guide through NCARB. Once you go through that, 
some if you get if you have if you hold a masters and i think the numbers are less than when you hold the five year you have to look into that yeah it's it, it was the same for me yeah it was the same for me um and and it's broken down by hours in different principles of architecture so you know it might be for business management it might be for construction administration so like out on the site and it might be for uh, drawing specifically so you had to uh, accommodate a certain amount of hours for each one of those but one of the things I found that was interesting about that was you were actually able to begin taking your test before you finished those IDP hours whereas a few years back you had to complete the IDP hours and then take your test um, I think that was to, to to try to alleviate people taking the test that weren't prepared to take the test. But um, so, what are some of the other options? Once you, you you take your IDP hours, then there's six tests that you have to take and pass, and all of those are based on those same kind of disciplines. So, what are some of the other ways to get into architecture besides that traditional all route? Right. So that so that's the that's the uh, that, that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is through having acquired. Uh, I think some of the states let you do uh, ten years, seven years, eight years, depending on the state that you're that, that you're wanting to apply for. And again, there's a lot of states that don't require you to have residency in their state. Colorado's one of them. I think Arizona's another one, and California's another one. You don't have to hold a residency to be to be licensed in that state. You just have to meet all their pre qualifications. Uh, so you you have to gather your ten years of experience. There's two ways of doing that. You either have it recorded through IDP, and you've maintained a record through, uh, of them having you, uh, you sign how you have your architect that you work with or have worked with them in the past, sign off on that, and then you send that documentation to 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 NCARB. The other way too is that they'll, the each state or each jurisdiction will give you a form to have filled out, and you fill out the hours of experience that you've acquired, and then under that supervision of that particular architect that you work with, maybe say ten, uh, nine nine or seven years ago, you have them sign up and say, "I agree with this, Michael. Uh, you're, you you did achieve all these points based on your uh, the amount of years that you work with me." So they sign off. And so you collect all that information and then you send it in. And what they do is they'll, they'll create a, what they call the record for you. They, and they call it a uh, qualifying license uh, testing something or other. Um, each each uh, jurisdiction has a different name for it. Uh, Arizona has one, uh, you know, again, different states. You have to look into it to see what their prerequisites are and then Get, get their documents, fill it out, and they'll create a record for you, sort of like NCARB without having NCARB. Um, or if you don't want to collect all that information and you have had NCARB collecting that information for the past 10 years, then you have them, what they say, they call it transmit the data over to the state, and the state will accept that information because you, you've already gone through the process of having somebody sign off on your points and, and study habits and everything else. So by doing that apprenticeship, are you getting, are you is that taking the place of the education or is that taking place of the tests or is that taking place of both? That's taking place of just your experience and ment, uh, mentorship and um, well, but education, your education. Your, the education, education part. So correct. you're doing 10 years of experience to alleviate the necessity to do a five-year or a six-year degree. So That's your correct. physical experience is the education. Right. Okay. And does that information have to be kept? Does it have to be, like, filed chronologically, like, as it happens? Or can it be kind of like, I worked for you for a while now. I'm wanting to do this. 
can I go back and do this? You can go back and do that. If, if you have maintained contact with your... And as long as they're willing to sign off that you yeah. really did do that stuff. Right. Yeah. If you, if you can have mentors that didn't work with you. You can have a mentor that has known you for 10 years and he's sort of been... He's sort of been your go-to person as a licensed architect, and he has seen you grow and mature, and he knows what you've done and what you've been involved in and that kind of stuff. You can have that person, I think, sign off. As long as they're a licensed professional, I think they can sign off on you. Oh, okay. Uh, because it's more of a... Um, a licensed professional or a licensed architect? It would be an... Uh, what, what we talk, yeah, we're just talking about architects. Okay, so, so it would have to be a licensed architect. A licensed architect. Is it, it um, not an electrical engineer or anything like and that? And that's... I- any licensed architect doesn't have to be of any kind of, like, senior experience or anything like that? Like, somebody no, who's already they, been licensed? No, all they, they don't ask hey, if a senior or junior or nothing like and that. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dieter, but there aren't necessarily different stages of being a licensed architect once no. you're a licensed architect it's the same as yeah. if you've been doing it for okay. 50 years yeah oh okay so me coming in at you know 30 something years old and i'm licensed i'm sitting on the same level playing ground as someone that's been doing it for 25 years now obviously the experience level is different but my license is just as good as theirs so those divisions would be placed somewhere in the workforce later on right okay okay awesome you're still being held responsible to the same responsibility as the, as a senior architect. If you're signing a ceiling and you you got one year, you know, experience, you're still going to be held responsible as a senior staff. Yeah, things like junior architect, senior architect, things like that are more of a company name That's as right. opposed to a state name. That's correct. According to the state, you are an architect. That's it, period. Done. And you have the same responsibility and legal... Right. Yes. Everything. And like, so that person, I'm pretty sure, Dieter, that person that would sign off on you for those hours, he somewhat would be responsible and I don't know if liable is the right word, but he would be responsible for making sure that you did have the competency in order to be an architect. Oh, yeah. And if, if, you know, something happened along the way and within your first year you had like a huge problem... I'm sure that they would reach out to him and be like, hey. No. They wouldn't? No. Oh. This is your license. You're Once holding you're there, you stand on your That own. is your license. Oh, okay. You are alone responsible for everything that goes wrong in a project. I'm surprised by that. I would have thought that they would reach out to him to make sure. Nope. Hmm. The, the only thing that, that could ever happen is if another architect or another professional completely, let's put it simple. Writes a letter to NCARB and says, and and, and uh, expresses concern of your knowledge base, your and how you, how they would have allowed you to have passed the test for minimum competency of an architect. Anyone can write a letter to anyone, and complain about somebody's experience or prof- professionalism. But isn't the minimum minimum competency test? Isn't that universal? Everybody kind of has to take the same kind of test. Yes. Yeah. But no, no architect can 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 they can ridicule you. Obviously, anybody can do oh, that. Sure. Yeah. But um, well, they gotta they gotta do it on a base by base basis, and and it means absolutely nothing. It's just yeah. When opinion. I get I guess the way they're trying to make sure that that competency is achieved is by still giving you the test, even though you've done right. 10 years of experience and more than likely like with my idp it was two years of experience but in order to get all of the different facets that are required in the minimum hours for each of those 
It didn't take two years. Two years is just two years of time working 40 hours a week. But no, no company that I've ever heard of will strategically place you to make sure that you hit all of those milestones in order and with the correct amount of hours. And you're like, okay, I got my 400 hours of construction documents. Let's move on to the next. Uh, now I don't have to do any more drawing for the next year and a half. It's never going to happen. I think it took me about three and a half, four years to get mine completed, and it's about 200 hours worth of work. Yeah. You would have to have a dedicated monthly meeting or, or bi-weekly meeting with your mentor and say, hey, I'm lacking on this experience. What team can I jump to to, do, to, do it, to achieve it? Because it's not, it's not black and white. It's a, 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 tones are gray. Mm-hmm. So you can acquire experience working multiple teams, for so for example, cost estimating, which is like the least that we do in any in, in our profession. Yeah, so you, you could work time. somewhere for a year and there never be an opportunity for you to do cost estimating. You know what I mean? And one of the other ones is also the the liability to the company, where like say spec writing, that's like 120 hours of spec writing. Well. You don't necessarily want someone that doesn't know anything about how a building goes together writing specs. Right. But the way that like I got around, not around it, the way that I worked through that with Dieter, because Dieter was the one that signed off my stuff once I moved up here to Pensacola, was I would shadow him or I would review things and then, or I would mark, the, I would I would take a first pass at it and spend a few hours and then he would kind of look at it a little bit, make some changes, even doing like... Uh, like pilot projects, things that aren't necessarily going out to a contractor right now, but I'm getting the experience of like working through the program and trying to find out how all these things go together. And that's kind of how you can get some of those hours as well. Um, but it, it, Researching it can, materials, researching products, that is part, that is a credit towards specifications. So the IDP doesn't tell you, oh, you need to be doing specs. Right. One. It's more generalized. It's more generalized. They say spec experience is acquired through a multitude of different activities. You know, helping put documents together, helping doing research on products, code research, uh, uh, assembly assembly of information, printing, uh, editing specs, uh, assisting the architect with multiple different activities in spec writing. he could be helping a bunch of other different people that are doing different things on it. Administrative support too. That's that's so so. It's not like a black and white. Like hey, I did I did a fifteen hours fifteen hundred hours of uh, spec editing. No, but I did a fifteen hundred hours of a multitude of different a- uh, facets in in spec editing. You know, I I know materials. I, I learn about materials. I learn about the Florida Building Code. I learn about Florida product approvals. This is what we deal with here in Florida and other states where they may, they may deal with. I think Texas has their own requirements and California does too for seismic and earthquakes. Um, so so let me let me get back to this. So we, we've talked about two different ways to becoming a licensed architect. You do the schooling, you do the testing, you do the IDP, you get licensed. You do uh, the experience. Well, 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 hold on a second. We do all that IDP stuff and then we have to take the national test. Right. So it's a national test, and it means that even though you're you're licensing in Colorado or Arizona or California, doesn't remove the fact that you are as qualified as the person that graduated from a six-year degree university, and they hold a license. But that's where you get into the whole reciprocity thing. Yes. Now that where you know, 
Florida has reciprocity, and basically that means like your license can jump from state to state. Yes. As long as you fill out the appropriate paperwork to make yes. sure that that's all taken. But some states don't have reciprocity with other states. That's correct. Like Arizona only has reciprocity, I think, with like two other states. Colorado, I think, and right. maybe California. Yeah. But like the, uh, you know, Florida has reciprocity with like 47 states or something like that. Because what they're basing it on is the stringency of which it took in order to get that license. That makes sense. So if your requirements in Florida are more stringent than the ones in Arizona, then Arizona is more than likely going to accept your license from Florida to be able to do the work in Arizona. Um, uh, was there anything about that reciprocity that you kind of wanted to speak to? The, 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 I think that the only, the only biggest part of reciprocity is your jurisdiction. Because mm-hmm. um, you can be licensed in California... But it doesn't mean you're going to get an automatic reciprocity in Georgia or Tennessee. Right. So that's where, like, say Arizona, for example, they have the 10 years experience. You do 10 years of experience. You take the test. You get licensed in Arizona. They don't have reciprocity with the state of Florida. So you couldn't transfer your license in order to do a project in Florida because you took this different route to get your license in Arizona. So that's where... It, it is the same, but it's not the same whenever it comes to your license. And I will let everybody know that's listening out there, check with your state because stuff is changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Because we could say that statement right now that they don't have any reciprocity, but look what's happening with the Canadians. They're coming in, they, they do their own uh, record keeping, they do their own test, and they come into the States. And now NCARB has a pathway for them to become licensed in 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 in, in, in the state that you're in, mm-hmm. so they have a pathway to achieve the same thing. Even for people from Europe, now there's newer pathways. So there's always something changing, and there's always something uh, that you have to be aware of. And, and it would be fantastic if you guys reach out to each each of your jurisdiction, uh, each state, and, and determine that. Um, and just just get on the phone with somebody, just talk to them, and say, hey, what form should I use? I, I got 15 years of experience. Do you guys do reciprocity through experience? And it could be a blank statement that says yes, no, maybe. And say, you know, also that now you're more educated. Do you have a, you have a license in another country? Yes, I do. How the what states? What what country? Because they may have a list of countries that they may they may oh go through the NCAR process. They'll allow you if you take these tests uh, or maybe a lighter test. I don't know what it is. That's why I say it's like look into that. It's important to reach out to NCAR in your state to get that. Um, yeah, these things change all the time. Yeah. And they're constantly changing. Yeah. Every year, the tests change pretty frequently. Yeah. And I think a couple of years ago, it was seven tests, and it went down to five tests, and now it's at six tests. So, I mean, you know, if you're listening to this, make sure you check what's up to date now. Yeah. Uh, I, I know. And then one last thing that I would say, those are those are diff- the different ways to achieve licensure. Um, and there is one new, I, I don't know if it's, if it's called a mandate, but the decisions that are being made, uh, from my understanding, the little bit that I understand, you may know more about this, is people that are going to college may end up graduating with a license, with a degree, or I'm sorry, a license. They may graduate with a license in, in architecture because what they're seeing is that they're allowing the experience that the students are acquiring in schools, and then if they can study for the test and pass the NCARB test, the national mm-hmm. uh, state test, or I'm sorry, the national test, 
that the potential of having people graduating from in a, an accredited program with a license is coming. It's just a matter of time. It's just it's coming. And you may not have a lot of people graduating with a license, but you may have a lot of people graduating with half the test ta already taken. Yeah, and I, I knew some people even when I was in school that were studying for and taking some of the tests, but they weren't able to accumulate their IDP hours. But because they changed the rule about being able to take your test before you completed the IDP hours, that allowed them to be able to go and start doing that. Uh, one of the big ones was the structurals test because like our, our program was actually based on the study material for the test, similar to like how it is in common core um, schools nowadays. You're like studying towards passing the ACT or whatever that might be, but they, they couldn't get their IDP hours because they didn't have internships or they didn't have enough time for that to kind of be going on while they were having their um, schooling. Um, but I think that that's a great, great idea because I'll, I'll tell you from experience, it's hard to get back into that schooling mentality of studying and taking tests once you've been out of that game for five years while you're getting experience in order to take those tests. The only thing I would be interested to see in the in the future is these students that are coming out you know 22 23 years old and they have all their tests passed and they get two years of experience with a firm and now they're licensed and able to do anything in architecture you know how that might really kind of affect the the, the field and how safe that might be for the public yeah they know how it does it but they've only ever worked on two projects like, do they really have enough experience having only two years to be able to put together a building appropriately? Because you're assuming that they're doing it by themselves. By having a license, you can do it 100% all by yourself, as long as you have engineers in the picture for certain things. But, you know, they're not necessarily working at a firm of 25 people where they can pull on the knowledge of other of others at the, at the office. Whereas, like, what we have, you know, if I was licensed right now, and I ran into a problem, I'd be able to reach out to Dieter. I'd be able to reach out to a Dave or someone and get some help with what that looks like. It, it, minimum competence. That's all that NCARB is testing for. It's not testing, testing for you're a good business person. You have ethics. You are morally. Now, do they want the mentors to bring people up with morals i mean that's why you have a mentor you have professors you know but so you either have good morals which you'll last a very long time good ethics or you won't and that's pretty much it i mean the only reason that you would ever lose your license in a state would be if there's some accidental death in in a building and, and yeah and they could find just cause for why that happened right the way that they say it is would a similar architect in a similar location have made the same decision or a similar decision? And if that's true, then it's not really your fault. It's it's just something that's happened and it's very unfortunate. But if they pull four or five different architects that are in a similar location, working on a similar type project in a similar you know field, then and they would have all made a different decision whenever it came to how you put that together then you're going to be held responsible because that is the way that they look at it is across the board as architects we should be making very similar decisions about the same types of projects in the same locations so say like in 
Florida, you're on the beach and you decide, oh, well, I'm going to put my first floor three feet below grade. And then something happens and somebody dies because of floods. Well, they're going to come to a person like Dieter and go, hey, would you ever do a building three feet below grade on the beach? And he's going to go, of course not. Somebody could get trapped in there and die. And they're going to go, okay, so that person was not using their brain. They weren't using their training. It's his fault for making that decision. Whereas, you know, if they were like, yeah, I don't see any problem with that, I would definitely make that decision in a similar situation. Uh, you know, I, then it might just be a, a happenstance that that happened and it was a really bad thing. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you're touching something really delicate too. And it's like, um, if you have, if you don't have the experience, but you do want to get another set of eyes, it doesn't mean that you, you can't just go practice architecture after you get licensed, but get it, pay for somebody for a second set of eyes, you know? Yeah. And we can just, you know, take it from that point on, you know, and everybody has to make a decision. Okay. Well, um, thanks for joining us again, Mike. And, um, thanks for having me guys. <laughs> do you, uh, do you want to close this out with another dad joke today? No, no. I want to hear one from the professionals. <laughs> All right. What do you call a factory that makes okay products? What's that? A satisfactory. <laughs> okay. Talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the T-Squared Dad's Brown Bag Podcast. Please subscribe on your favorite platform and we will talk to you next time.